what is the relationship between the church and the world? That's the question that I was asking myself after I read the, the, the text for this week. There's never been one agreed-upon answer offered by the people who constitute the church. You know, some who are the church want to escape the world. Others want to rule the world. For example, cloistered communities. Maybe you've heard of monks or nuns who live in centuries-old mountaintop castles that few have ever been allowed to visit. Their goal is to remain separate from the world. As one monastic community says, we are men who dedicate our lives to prayer and the pursuit of virtue so as to be a hidden leaven of grace for the church's mission in the world. So from this perspective, there is a mission of the church in the world, but these cloistered men serve that mission by withdrawing from the world. Maybe the opposite of the cloistered idea have been efforts by Christians to create a theocracy. Maybe you remember studying uh, the Holy Roman Emperor and how that person would get their power from the Pope. A theocracy is where a government has leaders ruling in the name of God. And so Vatican City in the 21st century is obviously a theocracy ruled by the Pope, but there are others, other theocracies in the world. Like in Iran, they have their Ayatollah. Ayatollah means sign of God. And so anything the Ayatollah says is a sign of God. And so that's what will be. To bring it back to Christianity, though, and to bring it to our own nation, there's been a 40-year project in the United States to get leaders elected who identify as part of the religious right. I listened to an excellent podcast this past week. It's called The Experiment. The title of the episode is How the Evangelical Political Machine Got Made. The main character who was interviewed in the story, his name is Ralph Reed. He's an evangelical political consultant whose beginnings go all the way back to Pat Robertson. Some of you might remember Pat Robertson. It was Robertson in 1989, after running for president, who recruited Reed to serve Robertson's goals. And here's what Robertson wanted. He said, we Christian conservatives want to take operational control of at least one of the two major political parties. We want to elect a committed Christian as president of the United States. We want to take a majority in Congress and the United States Senate. We want to elect a thousand committed Christians, devout Christians at every level of government. This isn't going to be some Christian civic group this is going to be the most effective public policy organization in the country. And at the end of 10 years, American politics is going to look totally different. Now, this would be the exact opposite of remaining cloistered in the mountains, right? Pursuing personal virtue in hopes of being a hidden level, leaven of grace for the church's mission in the world. Changing the face of politics in the most powerful nation in the world, that comes from a completely different understanding of how to respond to that question I first asked, what is the relationship between the church and the world? What do you think? Should the church just be content to watch the world go by and make no comment? 
try to live spiritual lives apart from the chaos and brokenness of the world? Or should we make it our mission to gain power in the world and take that power in the name of Christ? The reason I'm exploring this question is because of the prayer we just heard from the Gospel of John. The same gospel that so famously says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In our text for today, 14 chapters later, Jesus is praying to his Father in heaven about his disciples. And Jesus prays, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. So, in chapter 3, it said, for God so loved the world. But here it sounds like the world is a problem, because it is. John uses this word world to represent the forces of resistance, rejection, unwillingness to see and know what God did through Jesus. There is a condition in the world that requires a Savior. And that condition could be labeled acute self-reliance dysfunction. I made that up. There's no good acronym there. I'm going to keep working on it. But this condition is known to all of us. The world tempts each of us to think that it's all about me. And when a bunch of me, 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 me's gets into groups like a church, we then are tempted to think we can't be God's people without gaining power for ourselves. In faith, though, we remember no one of us was built for our own sake. In faith, we remember that the kind of power the church is called to wield is the kind that chooses to die for the sake of others, not rule over others. So what is the relationship between the church and the world? It's a really hard question. To get at our answer, we have to start by remembering what we know for sure. At least that's the best way to, to get into tough questions in my experience. So what do I know? before I jump into what I don't know. And we know for sure that I do not exist for me. Christians know that. We know for sure I have life for the sake of my neighbor. And we know for sure that the kind of power that Christians are called to seek is the kind that serves others, not ourselves. Okay. But how do we remember that? And that's what our text for today is modeling. Truth is not a one-time download. You don't learn in Sunday school to love your neighbor as yourself and then you got it. Good to go. Applying that idea to people throughout your life who make it hard for you to love them, who perhaps look different from you or make decisions different from how you make decisions or people who are just, they are different from you, Following Jesus by loving all people as Christ loved us is a lifelong project full of failures and success. And the only way to remain vigilant in this project is to deepen the relationship you have with God. The Gospel of John is all about proclaiming how each of us and all of us together can live in the truth, who is Jesus, Jesus. 
Just before our text for today, it's still part of this prayer that Jesus is praying. Jesus explains the eternal life hack that he wants all of us to understand in our hearts and minds and souls. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is determined to save us and the whole world. He wants us to live in the truth. How? Through an intimate relationship with God, knowing God. That verb knowing means intimate relationship. First Lutheran calls knowing God faith alive. Faith alive, you probably know, is our tagline, but it's much more than that for me. It grounds me in what we keep trying to do. No one of us can have a faith that lives by ourselves. Relationships between each other are how we practice faith alive. Our relationships with each other are how we know God. They are how we remain in relationship with God. You might wonder, well, how does one lead to the other? How does having a relationship with you or you, how does that have anything to do with God? You know, there's a line here, how does it go to there? So Jesus prays loud enough to be heard by his disciples. He says, I made your name known to them and I will make it known so that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. His point is when we remain in relationship with each other, we remain in relationship with God because somehow Jesus abides in you and in me. And so when we have a relationship, we're somehow relating to God. Being in relationship with each other, keeping faith alive at First Lutheran, this past year and two months, though, has been really hard to do. That's an understatement. We have not commented on each other's children or pictures of each other's grandchildren between services or in the hallways or in the parking lot. Our choir has not gathered to sing. We haven't shown up in each other's grief when a loved one of yours has died. We haven't been able to sing happy birthday or celebrate anniversaries or even smile at each other. Churches keep faith alive through relationshiping. That's how God designed our souls. Nurturing those relationships has been nearly impossible this past year. And as hard as social distance and masks have been, add to those challenges a heavy dose of social and political upheaval. Since we canceled that first service in March of 2020, all sorts of stuff has happened locally, in our state, nationally, globally, stuff that we would usually talk about <laughs> with each other in the safety of our Faith Alive relationships that are built on trust and kindness and compassion and humility. But instead of seeing each other at church, we've seen each other's Facebook posts or other social media, or not at all. It turns out distance does not make the heart grow fonder amidst Christian communities. And so today I want to echo the end of our text where Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you've sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, that word sanctified, if, you're not, if you don't have like a, a fill-in, that's just a churchy word that doesn't mean much. 
Sanctify means set apart. It means declared holy. So Jesus is using this word to pray that we would remain set apart in a holy way from the forces of this world that tempt us to not live in faith alive, that tempt us to live smaller, more angry lives. What is the relationship between the church and the world? When we are the church, when we really live into setting ourselves apart in a holy way as generous people, full of compassion and kindness and humility, we are being so countercultural, so otherworldly, that's how we change the world. We don't need to run the government in order to wield God's power. All we need to do is to be in such communion with our grace-filled God that we look at that person with whom we deeply disagree, who's really upset me, who perhaps evokes in me some righteous anger even. Maybe I'm right (laughs) to be angry. And then look in their eye and be willing to die for them. That's being the church. And when that willingness comes out of us, that changes the world. When I'm willing to love that person more than hate or judge that person, that changes the world because the world just sticks with the judging and the hating. When we are truly the church, a multi-generational, every socioeconomic level, full of all the variety of gifts and quirks that God put into all of us, when we choose to be a part of what can feel like an imperfect mess, when we show up anyway and we offer everyone kindness and listen to each other and assume the best of each other, when we remember the truth of Jesus' grace in my life and admit every other person deserves that same measure of grace as much as me, when we're the church like that, God changes the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.